and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 113 and today's episode, Summer Readiness, I'm talking about how we can prepare our children in the summer for something. So obviously, for some of you, this is going to be directly relevant because you've got children in terms of school. So whether that might be you've got a child starting school for the first time or a child returning back to school, starting nursery, whatever it is, this episode is really around how can we use a particular period of time that most of us typically have sort of a bit more of a chunk of time away from our work, where we're going to be with our children for a particular period of time. And we really want to focus in on something, whether that's learning to ride a bike, whether that's learning to walk, whether to eat independently, whatever it might be, you might be catching this episode, not in the summer, you might be catching it at another time. But it's really focusing in on this period of kind of creating readiness for something and really kind of nurturing and bringing on our children in a particular skill or habit or behavior or new kind of activity, new learning. Now, for those of you that are on school holidays, this can bring out the best and the worst. And actually, it's not just school holidays. When we've got a chunk of time with our children, it can bring out the best and the worst, not only in our children, but in us too. Yeah, some of you will have been dreading the school holidays. Some of you are still in dread. Some of you may not. But For often, summer holidays are filled with sibling arguments, constant whinging about being bored, maybe battles over device use, arguments over schoolwork that they have been asked to work through that they have not yet started. If that resonates with you, I'll leave it there. The flip side, obviously, of having this time off with our children, whether that's because it's the school holidays or whether we've taken a chunk of time off work, is that it's a real opportunity to play, to be creative, curious, to get bored and connect with family and friends. It's that we've chucked the usual routine out of the window, whether we've physically gone overseas or whether we've gone on holiday somewhere else in our own country or whether we're just at home. It's that incredible chance to throw out routine out of the window and do things differently. Now, it is a bit of a fine balancing act and some days you'll believe that you're monumentally acing it and other days you will literally be counting down the day until either your children are back at school or you're back at work. But I'm really hoping that this episode is going to be a helpful thing. If you just keep in the forefront of your mind, whatever it is, it's about getting our children, using chunks of time that we have to be able to ready our children for something. All right. So that's, that's the idea. Now I'm going to be working on, and I'm going to be sharing five particular tips with you in the kind of usual format. So let's get sort of cracking. Let's get started. The first one is just work with the end in mind. What is it that you would like your children to be able to do by the end of the chunk of time that you have? And really try and focus in on the bigger picture. So rather than it necessarily being, you know, you don't don't want to keep battling with your child about going to bed. You don't want to be constantly asking them to do their homework or you want them to do get the homework that they've been set over the holidays or you want them to be able to walk independently, eat independently, whatever the kind of the big thing is. That's what you want to work with the end in mind. We're going to start looking at the skills aspect of it, but I would just simply ask you, this is a psychological thing, kind of, you know, bear with me, work with me on this one. I think our experiences of things and how we frame things, you know, have you ever heard of this notion about the carrot and stick? So this idea of we either behave, we behave in a particular way or we're motivated to do something because of the carrot, this idea of we want the carrot, so we're moving towards something, 
or it's this notion of the stick. We're trying to move away from something. We're going to try trying to avoid something awful happening or being punished or something that's unpleasant. My view is when you're working with the end in mind, when we just think about it from a psychological perspective, it's so much better for us in terms of how we parent and the behavior that comes, you know, the things that we say, the things that we do, the way that we act with our children. If our focus is very much on the end in mind being an outcome that we're moving towards rather than a pattern of behavior you're trying to get rid of. So for example, if you're thinking about children getting their homework done, you don't want to be framing the end in mind on that basis of just like constantly battling with your children about homework. You want to stop the battles over homework. Instead, you might want to frame it from the perspective of you want your child to be able to independently start their homework and complete it. And I know you might be thinking, oh, for God's sake, Mary Han, it's the same thing. You know, we're, we're, the, out, the end outcome is they just get on with it. And I get that. I genuinely do. But I think that when, when you're framing it from the perspective of them, you know, they're putting it off and they're whinging and they're complaining and we're always battling over it, it just kind of creates this sort of notion within us, the way that we approach it just tends to be from that we're trying to avoid something rather than trying to actually instill qualities that are then transferable. If you think about it, if we're trying to stop our children whinging or battling with our children about doing their homework, that's very specific to just their homework. If we're focusing in on our children being able to be independent, to take ownership for something that they need to do to start and finish it, then actually that's a real adult lifelong skill that can be transferred to a whole host of other things. And I genuinely believe that when we frame and when we couch it that way, it's great for us because we then approach it in a very different way. We're then much more aware and we'll look at it from the growth mindset later, but we'll very much approach it from looking for opportunities to descriptively praise our children when they're doing the right thing. And it also means that your child is understanding and learning why it's important that they're able to do these things because they are part of a transferable skill to something else. So work with me with this one, humor me, try it, but really work with the end in mind and frame it from the perspective of a transferable skill, a quality that can be used that goes beyond that specific. So move away from that sort of, we're trying to avoid these this difficult, challenging behavior and much more towards what might, what, what might that look like in terms of independence and autonomy. And you'll notice that I've had some hesitation in the words that I would that I've been choosing. And that's quite deliberate. Actually, let's be honest, I don't like this notion of positive and negative. You know, we're trying to move away from a negative and moving much more towards a positive because it just makes these things that sort of like, you know, this is good and this is bad. And the reality is it's it's not necessarily that things are good or bad. It's just useful or not useful. It's so much more useful to have a skill that is something that can be generalized across multiple different life opportunities that it can be to simply say that's just negative. I think that that's kind of cru crucial thing. So if you hear me hesitating for some of the things that I'm talking about in terms of choosing my words, because I don't actually write the podcast before I record it. I write my five tips or my six tips or my seven tips or whatever it might be, but I never actually write anything else because I just, I want it to be as if we're having a natural conversation and a natural conversation is about responding. Now, obviously I'm not responding to what you're saying because you're not, we're not having a, that kind of conversation, but I want it to feel conversational. And often as I'm working through the five points, as I have done today, things will pop into my mind and I'll suddenly think, oh gosh, somebody might be saying this whilst they're listening. So do share some of your thoughts. That would be rather lovely if you do. <laughs> 
if I'm actually genuinely responding to what you're saying or that I'm just in my own imaginary head, which is quite common. Anyway, I am digressing. So the first one is work with the end in mind. Number two is focus on the overall skills that your child is learning rather than the specific task. So if we go back to that homework analogy, I will use another one, I promise. Because for those of you who are listening with little with little babies, uh, you know, it's like they're not doing homework, obviously. But you really want to focus on the overall skills rather than the specific task. So if you have got a little baby, it may well be about ways that they can self-soothe. That becomes the overall skill, you know, what could I do to help my young child, my baby, my toddler learn to be able to self-soothe and self-regulate their emotions themselves rather than needing me necessarily to always pacify them and soothe and, and help them. That So the, the notion of self-soothing and emotional regulation is the broader skill rather than not bursting into tears um, when they, you know, when I say it's time for a nap or crying for ages before they can fall asleep, you know, needing me to be lying with them until they fall asleep. So we're really trying to focus in. And what I would say for those of you, I'm going to add a couple of bits for those of you that might be readying children in some capacity for school. So whether that's readying them to start school, or even for those of you who are readying your child to start with a nanny, to go to preschool, kindergarten, go to nursery, or you've got a child that's transitioning to a next big stage. So maybe they're going from kind of their infant school to their junior, or they're moving on to a secondary or a senior school, or you're readying them for university. Whatever that means is that so often we get supremely bogged down, I'm saying this with love, about when our child is about to start something like secondary school, and or they're going to start school for the very first time, we get caught up in, I guess what I would sort of say, sort of things that we think around school and learning. And actually, we forget a lot of the, and I'm not going to use the word soft skills, because that's quite often the word that's used, this idea about soft skills. It's not soft skills. We we tend to kind of get caught up in this idea that I want to prepare my child to be in a scenario where they're having to learn. So what that looks like is I need to teach them their numbers. I need to teach them their letters. I need to be able to teach them. It's all around what we might traditionally think are the important components for learning. Well, the reality is the most crucial and important components for for learning are much more to do with listening skills, negotiation, compromise, and you know, getting getting on with their peers, being able to manage autonomy, get started with something, those are actually the crucial skills. And I do a huge amount of work in schools. And when I speak to teachers across all age groups, but it seems to be particularly profound around children who are just starting school, they're not interested in whether your child can read or write. They genuinely are not. They they're primary goal in those very early years of your child being at kindergarten or at school is about helping them be able to ready themselves for learning, to independently put on their plimsolls or their trainers to go out to break time, to be able to take turns with people, to be able to sit on the bottom and listen when they're asked to, to line up, to be able to go to the toilet, to be able to put their clothes on. All of these skills have Nothing to do with what we typically do, which is spend ages and ages getting our children to colour in neatly and then learn their letters and then learn numbers. Because actually those, that comes later. If we, it goes back and we'll talk about this again in the growth mindset. I keep 
kind of pushing it on to the to the fifth one. But it's not about this is the out this is the end goal because actually you can have a child who can learn their letters and learn their numbers, but they don't necessarily understand the application of that. And that, that then doesn't generalize to, to their kind of wider, bigger learning. So really, really avoid focusing in on specific tasks and really consider it's all, it, you know, it's, I'm trying to get you to take that sort of helicopter view without helicopter parenting, but just take that broader, scenic in the sky view, looking down at actually, if I want, going back to the first one, if I want to have this, if this is the end in mind, what are the actual skills that are involved in that rather than what must my child demonstrate to tick a box? Because it's really developing and nurturing those. So I really urge you to do that. So many of the battles that I hear, either around schoolwork or around parents that are supporting their children to learn new things, is all about and I'm saying this with love, we just get so bogged down in being able to tick that box that we forget that actually being able to learn letters, being able to do numbers, being able to work independently, that you know, it's all around these other skills rather than that output. And that's so crucial to their later learning. We might kind of be and I'm not suggesting anyone listening to this podcast is a smug parent, but we might have those smug moments where we're so delighted that our child seems to be ahead of the game and is working really well academically. If they do not have those roots, you know, in that understanding of what it's, what it's all about, then at some point it will, you know, the, the wheels will fall off because they haven't understood what fundamentally underpins learning. Right. Lecture over. I will move on. So the first one is work with the end in mind. The second is to focus on the overall skills. I don't know whether the podcast production will be able to get rid of the number of pings that are happening on this podcast. So apologies if you're hearing a lot of pinging. It seems to be that I've obviously not put my phone on Do Not Disturb and everybody's trying to contact me. Sorry. Full of distractions this podcast episode this week. But that's life, isn't it? No, things don't always run smoothly. Be lucky that you don't have my dog barking. Right. So focus on the end of mind. Focus on the overall skills rather than being task specific. Number three is be creative in how your child may be able to demonstrate those skills. Yeah. Be really creative. Don't get bogged down in, I've written, I've sort of written down traditional school type tasks. And I'm not being derogatory to school. That genuinely isn't my my idea here. But we get we often get really bogged down in thinking that it needs to look a particular way. So don't do that. So for example, creativity. If we're trying to encourage our children to be more creative, that doesn't mean we just get the art stuff out more often. That is not. That's one way to demonstrate creativity. But creativity is in so many ways. It's problem solving. Yeah, finding novel solutions. It isn't specific to um, just art. So I really want you to spend some time to invest in taking that step back. It's so important. And I say this because I have so guilty of listening to podcasts, even now, um, and not so much on parenting, but when I was, when my children were younger, but I will read something or I'll listen to something and I'll be like, oh my goodness me, this sounds amazing. And I jump straight in and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But so often with these things, it's actually about taking a step back and just processing it. So, okay, that's interesting. Erhan suggested that I'd be 
creative in this and I'm really struggling with this particular issue. And, and actually, I've got a couple of weeks off, off um, work. We're all together. And it would be really great if we can tackle this particular problem. What? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, creative it. She said it's about out the box. Right. It's this. Just, I, I really find that the that almost the results that we get in terms of shifting and changing patterns of behavior and acquiring new skills and habits for ourselves as well as our children is directly proportionate to the amount of time we spend being reflective, doing a bit of an audit on what the situation currently looks like, and then thinking about how we might go about making that change and getting our partner and all other invested parties on board. If you're having a chunk of, you know, if, if it's the summer um, and you're a working parent, you your children will be either being looked after by grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, or they'll be at nursery and, and or childminders or, or summer schools or summer activity clubs. So just really think about if I'm if we're working on this particular skill. What? Who are the other people that have an impact and spend time with my child? And actually, are there aspects of the time that they spend with them that we could be creative around nurturing and acquiring this particular skill? So really spend time thinking about how can we look at this particular skill and how we acquire it and how creative can we be? And the idea behind the creativity as well also means that it's varied, there's variety. And let's face it, we all like a little bit of variety. If we're trying to create, if we're trying to sort of um, our child to acquire a new skill and we're doing the same thing over and over again, then it gets boring. Our children resist. They, they'll, they'll have, you know, we'll get that resistance, that tension. Whereas actually, if we try and think, right, this is the overall skill that I'm trying to teach them. And actually that can be that they can practice that across a multiple of different tasks. Then let's do that. Sometimes, sometimes we can't and the options are very limited. Okay, great. I understand that. But where we can, let's really kind of kick our own creativity into place and really think about how we can do that. So that's number three. So number one is work with the end in mind. Number two is focus on the overall skills rather than being task specific. The third is about being creative in how your child might be able to demonstrate these skills. Don't get too bogged down in sort of typical scenarios. The fourth one is involve your child. So what we will do with this week's podcast episode is we will share, reshare the ladder as, along with the top tips. And the ladder is simply, remember, a ladder is used to take you from where you are at the bottom of a space to where you need to get to, whether that's up to your attic, whether that's up a tree, whether that's up to fix a drain, whatever it might be, that's what we use ladders for. And we can use the ladder as an analogy to help our children when we're moving them up a competency, a skill set, um, so that they can then acquire a particular skill. So, so draw a ladder, get a piece of paper, get an old cereal box or a bit of cardboard, whatever it might be, draw a ladder. And then involve your child in thinking about, now, obviously, if you've got a baby, got a very young child or a toddler, they're not necessarily going to help write them, but you can talk about the things that you're doing to move up this ladder. So it's really about where you've got a child where you're able to have that conversation, then it's help getting them involved in problem solving what are the things that they might want to try. I love using post-it notes. If you can get a big piece of card, 
then it's even better. And then the post-it notes are great ways to place things almost in some sort of order. What would be the easiest is at the bottom of the ladder. What's the most hard, you know, what is requiring the most practice to get there will be, will be obviously the end goals at the top. But then the higher up the ladder it is, the more practice it requires for us to get there. So the great thing about post-it notes is if, if let's say you've put something in the middle of the ladder and actually realise it's actually something that doesn't need a huge amount of practice, that that, will, that can go lower. Post-it notes can just be moved around. And what's also wonderful about the post-it notes is you can start removing the post-it notes in the bottom rungs of the ladder once, they, once your child's got that mastery and they've managed to be able to do those things. And it's a great motivator. It's a great visual for them to see how well they're doing because you then pull those off and you can, they can actually, it's a real visual in terms of their progress. And if you put the post-it notes at the back, if you need to bring some back because you just need to practice again, then that's fine too. But that works really well. And um, children love doing that one. So that's a great one to involve your child. So that's work with the end in mind, focus on the overall skills, be creative in how your child might be able to demonstrate them. Involve your child using the ladder. And number five, remember growth mindset. So I've talked about this quite a bit at the beginning as well and kept referring back to it. Our brain is a muscle and like every other muscle, it gets stronger the more we use it, the more we practice it. Every interaction, every experience that you have, your child has, leaves a trace in their brain. So it's reminding them that their brain is a muscle, that if they're learning a new, a new skill, of course, it's going to take a huge amount of effort initially. But for every single time that they do it and that they repeat that, the trace becomes a more ingrained trace. And then that muscle becomes stronger and stronger. It's the whole Hebb's law, neurons that fire together wired together. So if you're, if you're doing something over and over again, there's a sequence of neurons that will end up firing at the same time. And when they fired enough times, they end up wiring permanently. It's that whole analogy of the switchboard. For those of you who are as old as me, and I genuinely remember this. So we emigrated to England from Egypt and we would periodically call back home. We'd call all our relatives back in Egypt. So you'd have to ring the operator and you'd have to say, we would like to make this phone call to this number in Cairo. And the operator would literally patch us through. They would sort of put some plug in one thing from our telephone number plug it into another telephone number in Egypt, and then we would then have the call. We'd have the conversation and then we'd end the call at the end. The idea is that's exactly what's going on when we're learning something something new, when our children are learning something new, is that there's a manual patching with these neurons. But if we didn't, because obviously back then it was incredibly expensive to phone, to phone internationally, but it, had we called that same number day in, day out, the operator would have just got fed up. She, oh God, these people keep calling and they keep trying to you know, patch into this, this number. I can't be bothered to keep plugging it in here and plugging it in there. I'm just going to switch it in permanently and then they can make the, they can dial the number themselves. And that's in essence what happens about this idea that when neurons fire together, they end up wiring together because they end up becoming hardwired. So it takes takes practice. There are lots of skills that your children will have already acquired, even if you've got a tiny, tiny baby because that a lot of these neural connections are happening within in utero when we're when our babies are still within us and we're pregnant is that the you know this firing is happening and so there are so many skills that we just 
we just don't think about. We just do because that wiring has already become automatic. The easiest time to do that wiring in those early five years, the brain never loses the capability, never loses its ability to be plastic, to be molded, to to create. It just gets harder the older we get. It's always there. It's ever present in terms of, you know, I'm 54. It's still there. I can still learn new things. It just, it's going to take a lot more time for me. It's going to take a bit more, a lot more effort. If we remind our children, if we'd have those regular conversations around the brain, then what we can do is we can teach them that they can learn anything with practice. And then what's really crucial in terms of maintaining that growth mindset with our children is that as our children progress with their learning and progress with this particular skill is that we always praise the process not the end result. If we want to encourage our children to understand that they put the effort in, that they will learn and acquire new things, we always need to praise the process. So it's about using descriptive praising, really praising what we see that is about process. And even if we have a child who's being sort of being a bit deliberately difficult about doing things, even if they show just a very small step towards making the right choices and learning those skills. Let's praise those. When you praise a child for what they've done and you're really clear, rather than the superlatives of, oh my gosh, you're so incredible. You're so amazing. That's fantastic. It doesn't tell a child anything. But if you say, I love the way that you sat down and you got started with your work and I didn't even, even have to ask you, that shows really real independence of thinking. Now they know exactly what it is that you loved. You love the fact that they got on with it. You didn't have to nag them and that that show that's demonstrating one of the skills that you're specifically working on. So let's use that descriptive praise. And what typically happens when children see that is that they sort of, I don't know, they seem to sort of sit, sit taller, stand taller, sort of, and feel great about themselves. And usually what will happen is because we've been really clear about what we've loved and what we're praising them for is they'll demonstrate more of that. So let's just quickly recap those. The first one is that we want to work with the end in mind. The second is we want to focus on the overall, overall skills rather than being task specific. The third is we want to be creative in how our children are able to demonstrate these skills. The fourth is we want to involve our children and create their own ladder. And the fifth is remember the growth mindset, the ethos and the philosophy around that. So my give this week is going to be these five tips so that that can remind you and help you. You can make notes and all the, all the usual great stuff that you do. But we will also attach as part of the resource so that you can download it. With it is the ladder which helps you, you know, which you can work through with your child to either use the ladder that you can print off or just look at it as a principle and then you can kind of draw it directly onto some card. All you need to do to download the resource is to head over to my free resource library, drmaryhan.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download this week's podcast episode resource, as well as all the resources across all the other podcast episodes. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access. As ever, I would be eternally grateful if you have enjoyed this episode. Other parents find this podcast by reviews that you and and the fact that you follow this podcast because what happens is then you know all these clever algorithms with Apple and Spotify then will then sort of suggest 
to other parents that they may enjoy this. So if you have enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. Bye.